First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 8 is where we're at. We're going to finish the chapter. All right, First Timothy 2, verse number 8. Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Eve was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, I want you to look at these verses with me. I believe there are about, uh, what, eight verses here together that we've read. The first verse is directed toward men, and that is men, not human, humans, humanity generally. That is the men specifically, because the verse number nine addresses the women. So there's something to men and there's something to women. Now, I'm going to focus mainly on the women this morning because I feel like every man in here pretty much has it together and is perfect and uh, is fully sanctified and really doesn't need much help. So I think we're just going to skip verse 8. And we're going to go right to verse number 9 because I feel like that's where the needs of our church really lie. And uh, I want to preach on this thought this morning, a word for the women. A word for the women. Now, I'm not skipping verse 8, but I am going to come back to it. And uh, I want you to know I'm not skipping verse 8, all right? But as you can see here, the main bulk of this text is toward who? The women, right? Now, I didn't write the Bible, okay? So don't get mad at me, all right? I'm just the mailman. Don't shoot the mailman because he delivers you a bill, okay? Uh, I'm not the, I didn't write the letter. I'm just delivering the mail, all right? And so this is, and I'm not apologizing for it either. I believe it and I thank God for it and it's right. But what I'm saying is the majority of it here is to the women. And so I believe that God has a word for the women from the word of God this morning. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. All right, Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege that we have, Lord, to open up your word and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord, we know when we open up the Bible, it's fact without fiction. It's truth without error. Lord, it is uh, absolutely 100% accurate and relevant to our life today in 2022. Lord, I pray that we would see it that way. And Lord, we would all come under the authority of the Word of God today. Lord, and myself, as I preach it, may I preach it as a man that is under authority. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost and use me. And uh, Lord, help our church to be uh, biblical in every single aspect that, and to, to do our very, very best to follow you. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, the Word of God here has a word for the women of the church. This entire epistle is about behavior in the house of God. That's chapter 3, verse number 15, tells us how we ought to behave in the house of God. The Bible, as Christians, we know that we believe this strongly, especially here at our church. We strongly believe that the Bible is our sole authority. That means it's our only authority. It stands alone in its own category as our sole authority for faith and practice. Faith.
faith. That's what we believe. Practice, that is what we do. That's how we behave. And it is our authority for both. You and I, neither one of us, whether you're a member or the pastor, we have no authority in and of ourselves, no intrinsic authority to be able to say, this is how we're supposed to do this or this or that, when the Bible tells us explicitly how things are to be done. Now, reading these verses in my Bible just gives me a couple principles off the bat that I see here. Number one, God cares about how His church operates. He does. It's not just any old thing can throw out a, you know, put a steeple on a building and sign out on the road and say, hey, we're a church. No, if you're not operating according to God's Word, then you are not a biblical church. He cares about who does what. He cares about uh, not just about their gender, but he cares about their behavior and their character uh, in the church. These things are important to God. I know they're minimized in our society today. I know they're minimized uh, in in churches today. People don't care about God-given roles and what the Bible has to say, but I'll tell you what, God cares about it. If he didn't care about it, he wouldn't write about it and put it in the Word of God. And something else I find is that God has a right to call the shots. He's the head of this church. I'm not the head of the church. God's the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. God is the, he's the leader. He's the shepherd. He's the one that we're following. He's the one that gave his own blood. It is God's blood that's been shed for this church. He's the one that gets to call the shots. You have no right to say what goes on in this church. I don't have any right to say what goes on. The only rights that we have are given to us in the word of God. We are to operate within the parameters and the boundaries that the word of God has given us. And then as we look at this thing about women in the church, we find that another principle I, I see as I read these verses was that God has a role for women in the church. They're not to be ignored. They're not to be uh, uh, pushed to the side. But they're commissioned by God to fulfill their role. Just like men are commissioned by God to fulfill their role, women have a just as much uh, 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 commission, just as an important commission uh, uh, from God to fulfill their role. They're not inferiors. They're co-laborers to us men. Men are not superior. They're co We are co-laborers together with Christ. Being a man or being a woman, that doesn't make you any more spiritual or less spiritual. Galatians 3 tells us that in Christ there's neither male nor female. What does that mean? That means nobody's more saved or nobody's more spiritual because of their gender. But that does not negate the fact that God has given each gender a role to play and a role to feel and an assignment to feel uh, in the church. It's that way in the home as well, isn't it? God has given roles in the home. The home and the church are connected in such a, uh, an intricate way, in an intimate way. It's, it almost one spills over into the other. You can't. What happens in one really affects the other, doesn't it? That's why God has aligned them in, in almost the same way, set them up in almost the same way with roles and authority and things like that. And um, I want to just look at just just we'll just dive right into these verses together. And I want you to pray for me because. Really, there's three sections in, in here that I want to look at to the women. The first two are highly, highly controversial in our culture today. I'm not worried. I, I'm amongst friends. I'm amongst Bible believers in here today. We all believe the Word of God. I would say the majority of us do. So I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to beat up on any straw men this morning and act like I'm some tough preacher because I'm preaching these things here. I mean, tough would be go out and preach it somewhere else, you know, out on the street corner. So I don't want to give that impression, but they are a little controversial. And if you don't watch it, the culture will begin to warp your mind and will begin to dictate what you believe rather than the Word of God. And then what you have at the very last verse of this text that we just read is probably what most people agree is probably one of the most uh, difficult uh, interpreted passages in the Word of God, a very difficult verse to interpret so many interpretations. So two controversial things, one difficult thing, and that's going to be our message this morning. Sounds like fun, don't it? All right, number one. 
All right. So we're talking about women in, in, in the church, right? The word, that, of, the word that God has to women in the church. First of all, uh, God speaks about this. Number one, her godly apparel. Her godly apparel. The first thing that God brings up to women in the church is their appearance. Now, that's controversial because people get a little, uh, they get a little uh, you know, defensive about how they appear and what they look like and how they, how, they, how they dress and things like that. And the reason is, is because you know, the way you dress and your heart, they are so closely connected. They are intertwined together. That's why we take it personally. When somebody gives you a compliment and say, hey, you look nice. Man, that really, we take that real personally, man. And when somebody criticizes us or maligns us or something like that, we take it personally as well. It cuts both ways because it's connected to our heart today. And you know, there's a misunderstanding, I think, in the church today that God doesn't care what you wear. You know, God only looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And so it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's a waste of time to even think about. Yet, I think the problem with that thought and the problem with that mindset is that uh, when you come to the Word of God, especially in this epistle when Paul's telling Timothy to put things in order there in Ephesus and the way that people ought to behave themselves, the very first thing that Paul deals with, the very first thing that the Holy Spirit of God deals with with the women of the church is the way that they dress. And why in the world, if it, in the Word of God, why in the world would God put something in His Word that He doesn't care about? People say, well, God doesn't care how you dress. God doesn't care what you look like. Well, it's in the Bible. If God put it in the Bible, I think he cares about it. Unless, you know, he just thought, well, you know what? I need to fill up some space here. You know, there needs to be something. Something needs to finish up, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I don't know. Let's just throw something in there about the way women dress. That'll be good. No, I don't think that's the way it happened. I don't think it's arbitrary. I don't think it's random. I think it is the heart of God that's being expressed, the will of God for the women of the church to dress right. Um, it's a big deal. It is right. He says that they address themselves, they dress themselves in modest apparel. Here's what the word modest means. It means restrained by a sense of propriety, not forward or bold, not presumptuous or arrogant, not bold or forward, not loose or lewd, not excessive or extreme. That is what the word modest means. It is something that not, not in your face and bold, excessive and extreme, and loose and lewd. He said with shamefacedness. That's again, it's, it just those, these words shamefacedness and sobriety, they emphasize, they modify the word modest. It just simply means not being forward. It has the idea of even being bashful a little bit, uh, not being out there. Uh, uh, sobriety, that is soundness of mind, that is self-control. In fact, if you were to take these things, this would be the opposite of the harlot that is talked about in the book of Proverbs who is out there on the street corner, putting herself out there, uh, trying to attract people, trying to seduce people, trying to... That is not modest. Modest not only speaks of, uh, of covering your body, but it's about, uh, about what you wear and how you wear it and all those things. God put that in His Word because it is important to Him. He says not for women not to uh, adorn themselves with the broided hair, gold, pearls, costly array. These things are the opposite of modest. Uh, in the culture of Ephesus, it was popular for women to braid their hair with all kind of jewelry and things like that. It began to be very ostentatious, very, uh, very flamboyant, very, very showy and, and, and extravagant. All this jewelry in their hair. 
And then he said gold and pearls, all these, all these, all the just gaudy jewelry all over the place. He said costly array. What is that? That's expensive clothes and things like that. What is he talking about here, church, in the house of God? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that the church house should not become Hollywood red carpet. That's exactly what the Hollywood red carpet is, isn't it? Talk about what jewelry they're wearing, how much does it cost, what brand name they're wearing, all that kind of stuff. The, 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 uh, the outfits, the attire that gets all the headlines for every Hollywood event are those that reveal things, those that are extravagant. Those are not, if you want to know what is not modest, that is not modest. Okay, that is not my. That's what I'm here to be seen. Everybody, look at me. I am here to be seen. Paul said that is not church. That's not what church is for. And by the way, that's for everybody. Amen. That's not what church. Church is not to come to be seen. Church is so we can get our eyes on Jesus. When we come to the house of God, we don't want to see everything you got. You don't. You don't have to come and impress anybody when you come to church. And when church degenerates into some kind of Hollywood fashion show, some kind of beauty contest, some kind of Miss America thing, some kind of a, I'm going to show off how much money I have, and I'm going to show off everything I have, but look what name brands I'm wearing, and look at all this, and my shoes, and my hair, and my jewelry, and my dress, and all this. Uh, When that's what it becomes, we have lost the sight of what church is really about. That's the point here. Paul said, this is not, this is, that's what the world does. The world dresses up to be seen so they can compare themselves among themselves. That's what the world does. That's not what the church does. Amen. Now listen, you ain't got to come in here looking like Little House on the Prairie. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's right. You don't have to, you don't have to wear a bonnet and some you know, 1800s dress or something like that. I'm not saying, in fact, if you do, you'll get more attention with that than you would wearing some kind of. Whatever. I don't, I'm trying to think of a good name brand dress, you know. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, Faded Glory. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think about. I don't know. George. I wear George uh, from Walmart. I call it Jorge, you know. Make me think a little more, a little more fancy. I call it Jorge, but it's just George is all it is. But that's not what church is about. Come on now. You ain't got to look. You ain't got to look rough. In fact, the word modest, if you look it up, it actually has the idea of order to it, neatness and order. Amen. It's okay to look orderly and to look neat. That's in fact, it's more than okay. It's recommended. It's suggested. Amen. You don't have to. You don't have to look like you just rolled out of the bed and come to church. Now, if you rolled out of bed and come to church, we're glad you're here. But you don't have to come in here like that. Just. Just put on some clothes. <laughs> Cover your body. Try to look nice. Okay, there ain't nothing wrong with that. But we're not, it's not to be, there's a line there and it's not to be an extravagant thing because we're not here to be seen. And really it comes down to your heart, doesn't it? If there's modesty in the heart, there'll be modesty on the body. We don't want to, it's not loose, it's not lewd, it's not, it's not gaudy, it's not a thing. It's just, it's just coming to church looking orderly and looking nice. God commands women rather, there's the positive side of this, and that's to adorn themselves with good works. That's verse number 10, but with good works. There's a parenthetical statement in there, but the idea is you don't adorn yourself with these things, but you adorn yourself with good works. And he said that these good works, that is 
what women that profess godliness do. Women that have a profession of God. If you profess to be godly, you don't have anything wrong with what I just said and what the Word of God said. If you really are a godly person, if you're really a godly lady, then you don't have any problem with anything that the Word of God has just told us right here. And the underlying truth is this, the way, and this is why, this is why you say, what's the big deal? What's, what's important about it? The way women dress in church and the way women dress, it's attitude. I mean, you ought to profess godliness wherever you go, by the way. Modesty is good not just for Sunday, it's good for Monday too. Amen. That's just right. But the way that you come to church and the way that you come to the church house, it affects the church. Paul said, look, women, the way that you, what, the, what you wear and the way you come to church, it has an impact on our, on our church. And that's why he addresses it. When women in the church begin to dress, listen to me, when women in the church begin to dress to make men lust and to make other women jealous, we're in trouble. Amen. You say, well, men, I can't help whether they lust or not. Well, to a certain extent, there might be some truth in that. But there is, an, there is a, a line, there is an extent to what you can do, what you need to do, and cover yourself up. Well, if women are jealous of me and what I have, I can't help, you know, I have this and I can wear this brand. Hey, at the same time, you, better, you need to be considerate of your other brothers and your other sisters in Christ. So I'm going to tell you something. Listen, God's blessed you with money and God's blessed you with things. That's, that's good, praise the Lord. But listen, not everybody might be as blessed as you. Ain't nothing wrong with having nice clothes and having a nice thing. I'm not saying if you work hard and you spend money, get you a nice dress. Ain't nothing wrong with that at all. But at the same time, I hope the motive of your heart is not, well, I'm going to make so-and-so feel jealous. I'm trying to outdo her. I'm trying to outdo this person. I want to make this person jealous. I would to God that's not the, that's not the motive. I hope it isn't, well, I want, to, I want to turn some heads. I want to seduce some people today. I want to, I want to make some men turn, make a, take a second look at me. I hope that's not your heart. Amen. And that's why it's important. Everybody okay? We got through one. Let's try another one. Verse 11. Oh, yes. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Hold on. I need to, Miss Aaron, you probably don't need to be ready to preach tonight. I forgot about these verses in the Bible. I forgot. I forgot all about these verses. These verses here that we just read, this teaches that there is a authority. So not only is there a, first of all, we said that God speaks about a godly apparel, but secondly, God speaks about a given authority. We see the woman's given authority. God has given women authority in their lives. And to rebel against the authority that God's put in their lives is to rebel against the God who put all this into place. This is the behavior in the church. Now this is speaking, of course... I mean, this is, again, like with the clothing. I mean, if it's right in church, it's right everywhere. If it's right in church, it's, it's right in the home. But specifically, God's speaking about the church. And we see this because in verse 12, he's talking about teaching and all these things. These are things in the church. Women, the Bible says, are to learn in silence. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean when we come to church, when you walk on inside the sanctuary, when you walk in the church building, that women are not allowed to talk anymore. That does not... That's not what that means at all. 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of women praying and even prophesying. And I'm not getting to all that right now. But as long as they have what? It talks about having their head covered. What is that speaking of? It's speaking of being under authority. They do it under authority. It's a symbol of submission. But rather it's talking about women in the sense of preaching in the pulpit. There's no such creature as a woman preacher. Amen. And we know that. But... 
Uh, we believe that, but uh, you'd be surprised how this is being conflated and has become uh, murky in even Baptist churches, especially right now it's a huge controversy in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're independent Baptists, not in the convention, but it is a, it is a huge issue right there. It's amazing. Well, you know, I don't want to get on, I don't want to get on tangent there, but it, it's, 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 it's controversial. How does it become controversial when it's literally black ink on white paper? When it comes to the preaching ministry, when it comes to the pastoral ministry, God has given this ministry to the men of the church. It's that way in the home, male headship, and it's that way at home. It's that way at church, and it's that way at home. Now listen, that doesn't make one gender inferior to the other in intelligence or spirituality. In fact, I'm going to be honest. Most churches that I know of, usually the women are more spiritual than the men in the church as a whole. Now I speak that to our shame, men, but it's usually that way. That doesn't speak of the intelligence of women. There are women that could get up and teach this text a lot better than I'm doing it right now. It's not talking about ability. It's not talking about intelligence. It's not talking about uh, about spirituality or things like that. It's literally just God's design. It's the way that He made it for there to be peace and there to be productivity in the home and in the church. It's literally this. It's just the sovereign choice of God. There's male headship, male authority. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, I didn't come up with it. God came up with that. You say, well, that's part of the curse. That's, that's, that's part of the curse, right? You know, Eve sinned in the garden, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's our punishment. Women thinking, man, I got a man over me. That's just my punishment to bear. Well, that's not the right way to think of it because that's not biblical. Male headship is not part of the curse. It's part of creation. Look at the next verse, verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. We're not talking about the fall We're talking about how God made it. Who did God make first? He made a man first. Could God made a woman first? If he wanted to, he could have, right? And so when you think about this thing about male headship, you're like, I don't like that. Take it up with God. He's the one that sovereignly decided before you ever, ever existed that he was going to make Adam before he made Eve. Amen. Amen. So where does this authority... Before the, before the fall ever happened, before there is even a woman, God gave man authority and dominion. Isn't that right? He said, oh, you're just a chauvinistic pig. No, you've been listening to Oprah too much. You've been watching too much Oprah, haven't been reading your Bible. The only people that think this is extreme are people that have their minds so brainwashed by the culture that what God has said, and said for thousands of years. Like, man, that's weird. That's wild. Man, I ain't never heard that before. Well, I wouldn't say that too loud. Amen. I wouldn't be proud of that. This is God's sovereign decision. Sovereign decision. Verse 14 reminds us what happens when this gets out of place. Verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. How about that? Now, now, now listen, let me tell you what that don't mean. Here's what some people gather. They think, well, women are just more gullible than men. Uh, I don't know about that. I've met some pretty gullible guys. Amen. Well, as a rule, women are more gullible than men. I don't know about that. Well, women are just more easily deceived. I don't know about that either. I I don't know if we should hold up, you know, the male species as just being, you know, some ironclad force of truth and honesty and sincerity, you know, all the time. I don't think that's what it's saying at all. I think what this is doing is this reminding us what happens when we reverse the roles. See, what what happened in the fall? I'll tell you what happened in the fall. 
Eve came out from underneath her God-given headship. And she did what she wanted to do. It's God, it's man, it's woman. That's how God made this thing. Isn't that right? It's like an umbrella. You ought not think of that as oppressive. You ought to think of that as protective. Women are so special, so unique, so loved and cared for that God has given them an extra layer of protection. And you have somebody to blame when things go wrong. It's his fault. Of course, Adam was like, what? It's her fault. And God said, no, it's your fault. Because with leadership comes what? Responsibility and what? Accountability. That's why the Bible says, that's why the Bible says, by one woman's sin. Whoa, whoa, hold on. That ain't what it says, does it? It says by what? One. Well, who sinned first? Eve did. That ain't when sin entered the world. It's when Adam sinned. You know why? Because the roles have been reversed. He's the one that was accountable. He was the one that was responsible. He is the head. And so now we don't blame Eve. We blame Adam. It's your fault. Why? Because instead of Eve following Adam, what do we find in Genesis 3? We find Adam following Eve. The roles have been reversed. Eve is now the leader. And what is that? He wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's what the Bible says. He chose to follow the person he should have been leading. And what happens when the roles get reversed? I'm going to tell you, it's the same. You want to know why we're seeing all kind of craziness and chaos in our society? Our homes are a mess. Why in the world do you want to listen to what this world has to say about the home? They can't even stay married. They can't stay together. They can't do anything right. I mean, it's just chaos and, and, and disorder and disarray all over the place. They don't know. I tell you what, who you ought to listen to. You ought to listen to the one who made marriage. Listen to the one who made man and made woman. Maybe, maybe, hold on, crazy idea here. Maybe God does know what's going on with this thing. He made man, he made woman, he'd come up with marriage. Maybe he does know what needs to happen here. How about that? What happens when Adam's following Eve and Eve's leading Adam? Man, this whole thing gets, gets messed up, doesn't it? That's why it's important for ladies, stay in your place. Men, get in your place. In fact, let me yell at the men. Let's look at verse 8 just for a second. Because I'm going to tell you something. Here's one of our problems. Our problem is, is that we are the one with responsibility, but we're shirking it, and we're avoiding it, and we're running away from it. And the reason these women have to take sometimes an authoritative role in the home and in the church is because they ain't a man to be found anywhere. In most churches, if there was a man-eating lion let loose in the sanctuary, he'd starve to death. Ain't a man to eat nowhere in there. Amen. That's exactly right. It's a, listen, men, it's our fault. Who was held accountable for the fall? Man. Who's responsible still? Man. You can, run, you, you can stomp around the house if you want to tell everybody you're in charge, but that just means it's your fault. <laughs> that just means you're responsible. Men are to be real spiritual leaders. Verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. That means everywhere you go. Spiritual life, spiritual connection to God, right with God everywhere you go. That's consistency, men. Everywhere. Not wishy-washy, not up and down. He said, lifting up holy hands. Many times through the Word of God, you'll find men praying with their hands up in the air. I don't think this, this verse is so much focused in on the posture of prayer as it is our heart. I think the emphasis on the word holy. When you lift up your hands and pray, listen to me, guys. When you lift up your hands and pray, men, 
You better make sure them are holy hands. What happened to the men that live holy lives? I'm telling you, the reason why our wives don't respect us and the reason why our wives won't, won't follow us and have to take the lead sometimes at home is because men act like a bunch of babies and a bunch of carnal, immature, just spiritual pygmies. Amen. Holiness, men. Live right. Without wrath. Oh, man. How about that? No wrath. You know what wrath is? It's extreme anger. It's men that cannot control their temper. I'll tell you, the quickest way you can destroy and crush your wife's spirit is to be a wrathful man. The wrath of man, the Bible says, does not work the righteousness of God. They cannot exist together. They are mutually exclusive. And if you think you've got to show your manhood by yelling and screaming and slamming things and hitting things, listen, you ain't a man, you're a baby. You're a little baby on the floor pitching a fit and a little tantrum because you don't always get your way. Yeah, man. Hey, man. Hey, don't, hey, don't get under the pew just yet. Hey, man. <laughs> we ain't praying. Everybody look up here. Don't bow your head now. Hey, man. I'm telling you if, you, if that's the only way you can get across that you're in charge, you're a man. You ain't in charge and you ain't a man. Hey, man. And he said, without doubting. What is that? That literally means uh, hesitation, to hesitate. I'll tell you what, man. If there's ever a time we need to jump in and quit hesitating. Quit waiting around. Man, we need to do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Man, there's so much in that verse. And, uh, and I believe that's the reason we have women that have authority issues is because of the authority that's in their life. They look at, they look at them and say, man, I, I, I'm having trouble. It takes, a, it takes an extremely spiritual woman to submit to a man that is not everything that he needs to be. And women, I'm going to tell you, God will help you with that. And by the way, ladies, if you're looking for perfection out of your husband, you're crazy. Amen. If you're looking for him to be perfect, so I'm not going to follow him until he's perfect. Well, no, that ain't how this thing works. That ain't ever going to happen. You just don't, you're just, you just don't want to submit. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. You need to pray for him. You need to love him. You need to support him. You need to encourage him. You'd be surprised the leader your husband could be if he had just a little bit of encouragement. You just told him every now and then, hey, man, I love you. are doing a great job. I appreciate the work you do. I appreciate all you. Amen. Amen. That's right. Women are not to submit to men in general. It's not that all women to submit to all men, but it's men who are striving to live a holy life. Amen. There's got to be qualified leadership. It's that way. And that's why in chapter 3 he's going to get to the pastors, which we'll probably just skip all that because I don't need, I don't need that. <laughs> you know what he said? He said it's not just you submit to any old joker that's a male. It's not just because he has a male, you know, a, he's a species male that he's automatically receives submission. No, he needs to be qual- he needs to be holy. He needs to be qualified. And that's the idea, even with pastors and deacons and all those things. Most women, what I found is that most women they're not rebels. Most women aren't. They're survivors. They're protectors. They're trying to make do because. There's a man not fulfilling his God-given role in the home. We're seeing that. Anytime you see female headship, female leadership anywhere, it's, it's because of the lack of male integrity. You apply that anywhere you want to. Let me give you a last one for whoever's not mad and ticked off at me now. Number one, he says something about her godly apparel. Secondly, God says something about her given authority. And thirdly, I want to say that God says something about her great assignment. 
her great assignment. Now, verse 15, this is a, it's a tough verse. Let's read it together. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Everybody I read behind, they readily admitted that, man, this is one of the, this is one of the most difficult verses to interpret in the Bible because it almost seems like on the surface as you read it, it almost seems like Paul is saying that uh, women will not die in childbearing if they live right. Now that don't sound right, does it? How many of you know in the Bible and otherwise in real life godly women that have died in childbearing? Or how about this? How about ungodly women that have survived childbearing? That can't be what it's saying, right? Uh, is it Paul speaking of salvation in the sense of being eternally saved? They're saved from sin, saved in the eternal sense because of childbearing? Well, that doesn't even sound right at all. Childbearing doesn't make one saved. What about women who can't have children? What about... Men who can't have children. By the way, men don't have babies. Y'all know that, right? Would this be a good time to throw that in there? Okay. Men don't have babies. Women have babies. All right. Just making sure about you. I mean, I know that's obvious, but it's not so obvious today. What, is, what does this mean? Or if they continue in good works, I mean, you know, are they, they're going to be saved. I mean, that's, that's against everything that Paul taught, right? We're not saved by works. Isn't that right? So what, what is Paul talking about? Well, we need to know that sometimes the word saved, when we see the word saved, that doesn't always speak of being saved from sin. Kind of like we're studying on Wednesday night, the word condemned, that doesn't always mean condemned eternally. So you've got to look at the context. There's a context to that. Saved from what? Um, and I think in the context of the previous verses, when it talks about women being under authority and the women being deceived and led away from her role in the home, I think what he's saying here is this, is that there is salvation, there is redemption in the childbearing process. God has given to women in general, not every woman's going to have a baby, understand that, but to, the, to womankind, God has given to women in general the great privilege of bearing children. I know it's not seen that way in our society. It seemed like a nuisance. It seemed like an like a, like a inconvenience. It seemed like something we're trying to get rid of, but it is a, it is a blessing from God. Amen. It's a blessing from God. Even when you hadn't had one in 10 years, it's a blessing from God. 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 <laughs> but beyond even childbearing, here's what, here's what women have the great privilege to have. Women have some, a privilege that they have an assignment, they have a role. See, I think the idea here is this. Women, don't be discouraged. Don't feel like you're pushing because you don't have this position of authority here. Don't feel like you're put to second rate. No, God's given you a great assignment. And that's to be a mother. That is to be an influence and to literally raise up the next generation. Every great leader, every great general, every great president, every great preacher, every great missionary, every great... They had what? They had a mama. Had a mom. In fact, if anybody should know this, Timothy should, right? Timothy had a mama and he had a grandma that was influenced. Timothy's dad was off the beaten path. He might have not even been in the picture most of his life. He certainly wasn't a Christian by all indications, but what did he have? He had a mama that had faith and he had a grandma that had faith in God. And that was one of the greatest influences on his life. So women... 
And if that seems like second class to you, it's only because you've been brainwashed by society. I'm going to tell you something. Being a stay-at-home mom or being a mom or sacrificing for your children, that is not second class. That's not second class at all. If you don't have a... So I didn't go to college and I don't have a career. I don't make a lot of money. I'm going to tell you what. If you're raising some kids for the glory and the honor of God, you got one of the most important jobs anybody has. You say, well, God hasn't given me any children, anything like that. That's all right. Women have a special influence on children that men just don't have. And just like Paul had a spiritual son in the faith, you can have some spiritual children in the faith that you influence and and use for the glory and honor of God. But it's conditional. And if you do what? Continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. You know what that means, mama? And ladies, it does matter how you live. It influences the next generation influences the next group. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a God-given privilege of God. Something I'm going to tell you what, my wife, she has a relationship with the kids that I'll never have. She does. She has an influence on them that I will never have. Now, God's given me my role. I need to play my role. They need a mama and a dad, don't they? But they need a mama for sure. They need a godly mother. It's one of the greatest needs of our generation, our society today, is some godly Godly moms and some godly women. Never underestimate that power. Never underestimate that assignment. That's not second class. That's not, that's not second rate. That's an amazing privilege.